Hello, welcome. This is the Best Health Podcast. Here, I speak to leaders in the Bermuda health and wellness space about the options available to support your peak health and performance. I'm Akila Beckles, your host and consulting producer. In my day-to-day life, I'm a wellness professional who instructs in the disciplines of yoga and Pilates. I also produce wellness-oriented events in beautiful spaces around Bermuda. This episode of Best Health is presented by the Bermuda Pain Clinic. Today, we're joined by Dr. Charles Swart. Dr. Charles Swart is an Oxford-trained anesthetist and pain management specialist. He's been practicing anesthesia and pain management for more than 20 years. Dr. Swart introduced the treatment modality of radiofrequency therapy to Bermuda in 2009, the first of its kind. He is a full-time consultant anesthetist and a pain specialist both in private practice and also the King Edward VII Memorial Hospital. He has a super specialty in interventional pain medicine. Welcome to Best Health, Dr. Swart. Thank you, Gila. It's great. Thanks for your time. Thanks for letting me chat. Yeah, I'm excited to chat. <laughs> like, you have a fascinating practice area. Pain is huge. Pain is huge. Um, before we get to chatting about pain, I'd like to ask you, the individual, is there anything that you do every single day to start your day, like a mind-body practice? I ask everyone this question. Sure. Um, sport is, be- is a big part of my life, has always been. Um, so is sports injuries, as you can imagine. So I'm now limited to biking, and it's predominantly mountain biking. I know that sounds weird when you talk about Bermuda. There are some hidden secrets, but I do race internationally as well. Um, and then hobby is photography. Photography. And Bermuda's got the most amazing sunsets so and there's lots to photograph in a small place where's your favorite sunset taking um, pretty much from the house so i'm lucky enough to see sunrise and sunset from oh, from from our side and then it obviously moves over the season but yeah very spoiled but having both views oh, so you get to stay or, home. yep or you just walk up the hill a bit and then that's even, you better. Can get, that's even better yes so I, i'm very lucky geographically that i can see both and yeah then yeah. The other I, the other ones is on the bike in the morning. Yeah, wherever and you might be. So you yeah, you try and sure. try and get that into Coney Island or on South Shore for the sunrises. Sunrise they they spectacular. Shore, yeah. yeah I remember for a short time I was running on South Shore in the mornings <laughs> and cuz I'm from the east we don't see them the same way no. and it was like spectacular. No. Yeah, and that's why I try and time it uh, the bridge going over to um Coney Island. That's yeah. one of my absolute favorite spots. It's also a really good excuse to stop and take a breather. Yeah, yeah. Catch your breath after a bit of uh, railway trail. Yeah. No, I I have a little bit of familiarity with mountain biking because a good friend of mine, we chatted about this before, is mm. Caitlin Conyers. Yeah. So I've seen a race or two of hers. But seeing her race helped introduce me to some of my favorite hiking spots. So, like, very reach. I was familiar with Coney Island because I lived close to there, but very reach, Southlands, Hog Bay, all of those spots. So yes, and, and Lagoon. There, yeah, there's some there's some amazing, fun small racing spots. I mean, it's yeah, it, for a tiny island with very little elevation, it bites of outdoors. It yeah. will it will hurt. Yeah, you you can put everything in it. It's, so it does offer a huge uh, racing circuit. I mean, Fat Tire Massive is all the kudos to them because they've really manicured the races and. Yep. And as a hiker, I noticed the difference yeah, when you guys aren't in season. Yeah, so it was 
so nice because they they've really brought Bermuda kids into mountain biking. Let's <coughs> talk a little bit about your work. So I guess a good base point would be for you to tell us all what pain even is. Like scientifically, what's happening when one of us experiences pain? Yeah, pain is interesting. To me, it basically pains what the patient says it is. And that's really it. It's the artist to try and figure out what type of pain you may be dealing with. But essentially, the, the scientists will call it as an unpleasant signal that's sometimes heard. And that's mm. interesting. It's not always. It is a complex experience, and that differs greatly from person to person. And you see that in practice. And then even between those with similar injuries there's uh, and illnesses, there's a wide spectrum of how they present to you. And then it pain essentially can be really mild, almost unnoticeable, or explosive. Mm. And you see that as well. You, so scientifically, there's loads of research into pain. There's massive evidence for how a pain signal travels, where it starts from, where it ends up in. In summary, a pain signal that's repetitively there gets absorbed by the brain who becomes incredibly fast at learning a pattern and you get the signal gets bigger and bigger in the brain. So the longer you leave pain alone and don't treat it or don't get on top of it, the same stimulus that you would have had a week or six weeks or three months ago will be per perceived by the brain as a massive injury. Uh. Even though the size of the injury has never changed. But the brain is so good at what we call a wind-up. So it basically learns the pattern of pain and it becomes a huge part of the brain in the day. And that's when it becomes an overwhelming thing. Even though that the actual pain signal has not really changed over uh. the last three months. So there's the brain that's really smart. It catches up. It tells the body that you're in ten times, ten times more pain than you really are. And that's, that's kind of where the pain specialist comes in to be the early bird will be the early intervention or the early involvement in that pain pathway. So let's talk a little bit about interventions um, because that's your specialty. What, what does that mean, intervention? Like what's occurring? Uh, like what do you do when someone comes in with their pain? What okay. starts like the intervention process? Yeah. So... I'll run you through a, a classic pain patient presentation. Mm -hmm. And I'll, I'll um, basically a healthcare provider, and it can be from a wide spectrum of healthcare providers, send or refer a patient to me in pain. And that can be a very wide spectrum of pains. And we'll go a little bit through the types of pain. So, I usually would start with um, the th three types of pains that's out there. So when I see a pain patient, they can fall into generally three categories or a mix of them. Um, I will give you the scientific names just for interest sake, but I'll explain it a bit better. Nociceptive pain is the pain when there's inflammation and ongoing tissue damage. Or as I would say to a patient, that's when you break your leg. Uh. We know there's a cause, there's a reason for it. Um, it's unhappy you can deal with that. Then you get a trickier one, which is the neuropathic pain, and that's nerve pain. And that's uh. damage to the nerve, but it's not like you've cut the nerve. The, the nerve itself changes its characteristics. Uh, a classic example, and what's seen in a lot of Bermuda's diabetic neuropathies, 
where just by being a uncontrolled diabetes, um, you can have changes in the nerves and it gives you a pain that we call nerve pain or neuropathic pain. There's a third one, which is the nociplastic pain. Uh, it's all weird names. And noces are all because the receptors for pain is nocive receptors. Mm. Hence the fancy words. But nociplastic pain is the one where you don't really see any evidence for that pain at all. And you'll know a lot of people who will call the disease saying, I have fibromyalgia, I have irritable bowel syndrome, I have complex regional pain type where there's no cause for it, but you can sprain your ankle, your ankle start changing, and there's a pain that's unexplained to anybody. There's nothing broken, there's no inflammation, it doesn't fall into a nerve injury, but you are in severe pain. So that's your three basic types of pain. Okay. So patients get referred to me, the first thing we do is they fill out the questionnaire before they see me, which is really comprehensive uh, across medical histories and pain history, etc. That's really helpful because that serves as a base of knowledge for myself and the patient and always to refer back to. I imagine it makes that first appointment a lot more efficient. <laughs> yes, yes. So that, I, that, I, that I have to do the home. Yeah, I have to do the homework and go and read through that comprehensive stuff, and it helps because it, it gives you some idea what um, pain is and patient complaints coming your way. But then I start with a comprehensive history, um, and that's focused in a pain history, but it's also a full past medical history, surgical history. Any treatments, have you had acupuncture, have you had other interventions, have you had physio, have mm-hmm. you had massage, have you had alternative medicine? Yeah, now. so th- it's really, that's why it's a long conversation. Yeah. Um, and patients are sometimes quite surprised that they end up spending that period of time just going through it. To me, the devil lies in the detail. Yep. It's the history. It's the luxury for me to sit and listen to a patient for a long period of time telling me it. And to not lead them into questions of pain. It's, it's what the patient tells me pain is. Um, then there's a full examination, and again, that f- examination is also very geared towards what the patient complained about. So there's a, f- there's a standard full pain examination, mm-hmm. and then you do specific investigations or ex- examinations geared towards where they focus their pain, if it's, if it's that. If it's a global pain, it's very different. Mm-hmm. Um, the next phase is always investigations. So I either look at old investigations. So has the patient had any imaging? Have they had any other tests done, nerve conduction studies? Is there any investigations that I need to order to try and help me with a differential diagnosis or definitive diagnosis or a therapeutic plan? Um, and then... For, for those ones, what sort of time frame do you use? Because say someone that's been suffering for like a few years, how up-to-date do you need like imaging and things like that to be? That's going to be, that's a great question because that will be guided by symptoms, examination, and plan. So uh-huh. so it's absolutely right. So you don't always need a new MRI. You don't always need an X-ray. If, if there's evidence that confirms and it hasn't changed in character, you use that old imaging, you can mm-hmm. use it, and it's it's really helpful. Um, if there's not, or you're not sure that there's a that we've investigated appropriately to rule out either 
the good or the bad stuff, um, then that will mean an, an investigation that I would order and the patient will follow up with me back in the office and we'll go in detail through that. The treatment options to me then so say for example the patient's now been investigated and stuff what else what can i do yeah there's a huge spectrum um and i would always use the the spectrum of you have to do nothing on the one end which is not really an option but the other end is surgery so in between lies a variety of options available to the pain specialist patient and it doesn't always necessarily involve me. And by that, I mean, I may at that stage refer a patient on to say, can you go to a physiotherapist or an acupuncturist or mm. a um, alternative medicine based on my clinical impression diagnosis of what this pain could be? And that, uh, can you imagine, that varies widely. And then interventional pain, which is my specialty, which I would love everybody to fall in, they don't always do, but that involves me doing diagnostic plus minus therapeutic interventions in the in the operating room and that spectrum also involves medication so not every patient is an interventional candidate medication trials becomes a real issue you can imagine if you on nerve type medi- um, pain that doesn't rev- respond to in interventions and in injections, then the options are more geared towards um, lifestyle changes, medication trials, alternative medicine involvements um, to try and ma- maintain that. The, a big part of this is cognitive behavioral therapy mm. where there is no option to intervene or to medicate. People need to learn how to deal with pain. That's when the abbreviation CBT comes yeah. in. And then I would refer to the psychologist who's specializing in that. that work. So it'd be, it's, a, it's a real huge umbrella. Bermuda being a small place is geographically excellent for that because there are many specialties out there. We have significant backup from overseas, visiting specialists, or people on the back of a phone call um, to say, can you help me look at this? Can you, what about that? Am I missing something? Is there? A, how would it affect, etc.? And you, you, do you remain? Say, if you refer someone out to a physio, are you their main? Are you still their main point of contact, or do they go out to the physio and then you never see them? No. Again? So I prefer the family physician to be the absolute overseer of patient care okay i as a specialist would dip in and out of that and my correspondence would be to the family physician even if that wasn't a referral directly from the family physician because i think that's the role player who needs to know everything about this patient so when they come into the the family practices they need to know that they've seen a pain guy that they he's been referred to physio or he's had an intervention in the operating room and my thoughts, which will hopefully help the family practice uh, practitioner to get a, a much better idea of where the pain pathway is going or yeah. has been and what the alternatives are out there. Um, and that saves duplication, but it's also make it much clearer, I think, for global patient treatment. Like we've discussed, if it's an uncontrolled diabetic, that's a, absolutely into endocrinologist or and family general practice 
and I have a, a part to play, but not the major role. And I, with all the pain patients, I involve the family practices. Okay. So that the, I think that's where you need to have all your eggs in the basket. Every they need to know everything yeah. about anybody being involved. And if that communication lacks, I think patient care lacks. Yeah. But it's fascinating because based on all of the specialists that you name, this could be this huge network. Um, but I think that's the way that medicine and care is going as far as having a team to look at you as an entire being and not to... Yes, uh, pain's complex. Yeah. And I think that has in the past been underestimated. Um, pain plays a huge part of your life and it yes. can affect a huge part of your life. And if you see chronic pain patients, um, it's sad to see how pain has taken over their life. Yep. And the specialties can help, and but it's got to be a joint venture. It's got to be different approaches because what works for the one is not working for the next. Um, it's refreshing to hear you say that, cause like that you're you're treating these individuals and their matters, their cases as an individual challenge not that this is this i've seen this before and moving along <laughs> no <actually>. no <laughs> it's like that intro sentence people present with pain very differently even for the same cause of pain yeah i mean i i'm firstly a clinician and secondly a technician so the clinician part is fantastic challenge to try and um investigate and get an idea with the whole comprehensive approach to pain, is there anything that I personally, as a pain specialist, can do, or as an interventionalist can do, or what other team members do I have to bring in? And yeah. again, that comes back to Bermuda, where we may not be under the same roof, yep. but we are definitely within shouting distance from each other in, in Bermuda, which is great. Um, you can pick up a phone, there's lots of people, and everybody knows the, the system. And yeah, and we have history going back. I've been back practicing this for 15 years wh where you've got people you trust and yeah. you would happily um, involve patient care with that. And then, like I said, always back to the family practitioner because that should be the person who has the oversight of everything going on in his or her um, patient's life, particularly towards pain. Yeah. How, how does radio frequency come in specifically? Because... Uh, you know, when I first learned about you and your work, that that's what drew my attention. So maybe you can explain to sure. listeners what that is, when it comes up. Absolutely. So when I look at the interventional pathway, it's um, I'm looking to try and isolate the trigger mm -hmm. or a cause. And that's generally done by interventional pain, which means a needle under either ultrasound guidance or x-ray guidance towards a target. That target is identified by history, examination, investigation, and they may not always line up. Mm. Those are the tricky ones, and those are the ones where diagnostic interventions become very important. For that to be successful, you have to have the patient on your side and the trust from them that you're going to do maybe one, maybe two or three interventions to try and figure out this is this is a path we're going to walk. Yep. Um, and in one of those three, hopefully there's a target. If, you, if I can isolate the target, then the patient has 
two things. They get a diagnostic procedure, but often that's also a therapeutic procedure. And a lot of times, nothing else is needed. Those are the lucky ones. That's great. um, They come back with a smile and say, pain's gone. And that's fantastic. It's not a fix. Mm. It calms things down. It becomes a fire extinguisher. It really calms things down. All of a sudden, life's good again for them. And they can then go and do their physio, their acupuncture, their, their lifestyle changes without being in severe pain. To some patients, the pain comes back much quicker. Um, for example, if people suffer from chronic lower back or neck pain, I would block a nerve running to a tiny joint. It's a sensory nerve, so it doesn't make you walk or talk or move. It just senses pain. Oh. And those are the targets for radio frequency in one end. And if they get switched off, that pain gets switched off for a period of time, that's seen as a positive diagnostic and then they excellent candidates for what we call radio frequency denervation. That's a fancy word for burning of a nerve. It's not as bad as it sounds. It's, <laughs> it's heating the tip of a needle up under complete local anesthetic cover. It's just a simpler way of explaining what we do. We, we dis- have a destructive procedure mm-hmm. to a sensory nerve which senses pain and then over six weeks that protein denaturates basically and the nerve dies off. Um, they do grow back. So pain can come back. Oh, so when they grow back is when the pain comes back. Possibly. And again, that's if, you've, if you were doing other life-changing things, uh, the pain may not come back oh, that much. Yeah. So it depends what goes with that. And that's a six months to three years period. And uh, some people you never see again, yeah. and they're just great. Um, that's the burning de- of radio frequency, the denervation. There's a different one, which is called pulse dose radio frequency. That's a funky one in the sense you are through the same type of needle mm-hmm. pulsing an electric current towards a nerve. And what we do with that is the way nerves transmit messages is up a pathway and you try to change the biochemistry of that area so that the message is dampened down or stopped. So the brain that we talked about earlier yeah. doesn't get these flashes and become a big issue. That's really good if you can get in early. So you, the brain doesn't learn the bad habits uh, of pain. Yeah. And there's a lot of things for that. If you come in with what we call sciatica and there's going shooting down your one leg, there's a little brain at the end, at the beginning of that nerve as it comes out the spine. That becomes my target for pulse does radio frequency. So you then put an electric current around it. It changes the biochemistry. It changes the magnetic field around that that um, brain bit of the uh, nerve. And that gives you prolonged relief. Uh, and that can be quite significantly different and better. So radio frequency b- becomes this, this specialty. But you have to not Everybody can have radio frequency. So the, the, there's a weaning, weaning process of selecting the correct patient for the correct procedure. How does someone get removed from <laughs> the candidacy list for radio frequency? If the diagnostic injections are negative, okay. then you don't qualify for a denervation, for example. 
um, because it's all evidence-based stuff. You have to come back and tell me, Dr. Smart, I'm 60% better at least from your local anesthetic procedure, and then you fall into the candidacy of that. There's different types of other radiofrequencies. So if people, for example, have severe knee pain or shoulder pains, they're not candidates for surgery or they're waiting to have their surgery, you can switch those sensory nerves off. Um, again, that's f- fantastic, particularly if you, the alternative is either to wait in pain and take medication. Mm-hmm. It's generally an older generation of patients. Bermuda's got some interesting pathology, lots of diabetic, renal problems, di- high blood pressure, asthmatics. Mainstay of treatment for inflammatory disease is anti-inflammatories. A huge percentage of patients are not fit for anti-inflammatories or could make their blood pressure, their kidneys or their other um, medical problems worse. So those are excellent candidates to go down a pathway of trying to do some radiofrequency procedures to calm the pain down so they're not on chronic anti-inflammatories, for Mm. example. So, yeah, Bermuda being a huge amount of diabetes, blood pressure, asthmatics, that rules out anti-inflammatories quite a lot. Yeah. I mean, speaking of those specific conditions, what what are the lifestyle considerations in Bermuda that that you see in your practice affecting... Like yeah, so pain and chronic pain. Yeah, genetically, when you speak to the visiting spinal specialist, they we are all surprised at the volume of spine pathology, meaning spinal stenosis or slip disc or um, facets and or back pains and stuff. Um, lifestyle is obesity is really a, a bad no no on an. A patient with mechanical back pain, for example. So mechanical back pain is that back pain where you lie flat, it's okay, you stand up and it hurts, you can't wash the dishes, you can't turn around, can't do a golf swing, but when you sit down it's better. That's because mechanically you're putting strain on your back or neck, and you can imagine if your core is weak yeah. and you morbidly obese, you're going to have a fight on your hands despite what most people can do. The Tricky part is people get to that point and can't get out of it because it hurts when they exercise or stuff. So, again, the agreement I would have with patients is there's stuff I can do to make that pain much duller or gone, but the deal is for you to get into fitness or health style changes. Um, There's lots of alternative medicines out there that can help with that. Yeah, to to support them living... Uh, yeah. life where they're able to hold yeah, themselves. And, and, and then you get them into a Pilates or, or suggest that or yoga is stuff like that. Um, a rehabilitation, either physiotherapist or chiropractor that does that. Uh, and then again, there's many of those specialties out in Bermuda. Um, that's really, really good. Yeah. But the thing was is me for a short period of time to see if we can calm them down so they can go down that route. Um, uncontrolled diabetes, like we said earlier, that kind of gnosis, uh, neuropathic pain, the nerve type pain. Diabetic control, strict diabetic control, is to prevent that from happening. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 
it, it's you can kind of I mean as you know I'm a Pilates instructor a yoga instructor so now oh, I didn't in, know that. in that world oh, I sent it to you. <laughs> <laughs> so so in that world like I'm looking at bodies all day and then you go into the wider community you can kind of see how people are carrying themselves say in Hamilton yeah. um, you, can, you can kind of see the statistics as you watch people yeah. walk the statistics are told to us and that's the mechanical pains and that's yeah. huge I can't do the dishes, I can't brush my teeth, I can't stand up long enough. But if I sit down, it's fine. Yeah, yeah. And sitting down is not the answer for backs. What, what about even just our high, like our, our major industry being like financial services, insurance? So our, our workers ergonomics, are not necessarily active. Yes, but also ergonomically, people are in really bad positions often. It um, could be better. Yesterday I saw, yes, I saw a lady with... Some early arthritis, fit, very fit sports lady, but in a compromised working position with phones, etc. Mm. And she's been through all the conservative things and treatments out there and options, and has ended up in front of me where she will now need a probably intervention to calm things down, and then the lifestyle changed to follow it. But she find the ther- therapy is hard because it's so painful at the moment when she does anything with that neck. Mm. So that that's a lot there. And then, yes, sedentary people. I don't think it was helped by COVID and people working from home where they were very sedentary and not getting up, going to speak to a colleague. Yep. It's all done in, a, in one stationary position. Yep. We had Maureen Ryan on uh, the physio last episode. And she was saying similarly, like suddenly that was what had to become her specialty after um, lockdown because the people that were used to being sat down at work in an office environment were now in compromised situations at home. The people that were used to active jobs had been sitting at home. So suddenly she was dealing with everyone's like hip issues and back issues arising from their not optimum lengthy uh, positions during the day. Yeah, totally. No, and I see it from the physio referrals as well because they find it hard then in the acute phases to treat because it hurts so much and if yeah. it's something I can give them to calm that and they go they, they go back. straight back to that physio I promise and then they have a, a, just a chance where it's more f- effective access yeah um, to their bodies yeah and then and it may not hurt the, the aggressive rehab um, treatments from colleagues to to get them better yeah but it's a it's a tough path it's a it's a spiral it's a psychological challenge that's often bigger than than um, the physical challenge on chronic pain patients. Yeah, I can imagine that would be the case from my limited experience with it. Are you happy for us to shoot a few questions that we got from social media your way? Sure. I'm not sure if I can answer all of them. <laughs> we'll see. I, I wasn't sure either, but I wanted to at least give give them the light of day. Uh, I think we talked about this one a little bit. That one question is, is physical pain linked to psychological issues? Is there anything further you wanted to say on that? Because we talked a little bit about how cognitive behavioral therapy could help someone adapt yes. to living with pain. But is yes. there anything more you wanted to say between the link between... Yeah, I think they, the com- they completely linked. You'll see lots of diagrams, circles with role of pain and role of the, the mind, the psychology, mm. the family, the... Um, the effect of it, particularly in chronic pain, particularly in pain that can't be fixed when people are looking for a fix, is the coming to terms with a disability or a pain syndrome that's 
the ones you can't explain. Yeah. The, the, the nose yeah. ones, which is like, it's real, but nothing's broken. Yeah. But it hurts. And yes, you're allowed to feel that. And there are pathways and there are groups and there are a lot of support groups um, for patients like it. But psychologically, absolutely. Well, the link there. is 100%. So this one we've also kind of touched on, but w what are the natural remedies for pain? Do they form a part of your treatment services? And we talked about this a little bit, but would you like to so say I, more? Yeah, I'm not a naturalist uh, expert. There are plenty of experts out there. So I'm a big supporter of people yeah. having those alternatives available to them and, and do. And to some patients, that works an absolute treat. Yeah, I will be a bit more comfortable regarding advising on lifestyle changes or that but i do work with some acupuncturist physicians who does exactly that and and that's fantastic so i would hand it straight over to that specialist and and that's their expertise mm. hmm. that's yeah i could see based on how you described your pathway and the referral process that they're part of that network out there um how does one know when to push through or scale back I'm assuming they're talking about exercise. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I, yeah, I, I think it's probably exercise. Yeah. The, there's good pain and bad pain. Exercise is good pain. It's a self-inflicted pain. Um, if they talk about if I'm in pain, how do I exercise? That's a trickier one because pain is, all, is an indication that you could be hurting yourself or not. So it's a bit broad, but... The good pain of self-inflicted pain is not quite the same as having an inflammatory process in your lower back that's n nothing to do with exercise. or in it. Pain patients may find exercise harder, but we've covered a little bit. There's, there's yeah. a multiple spectrum of what I can do and or my colleagues can do towards getting you on that pathway and supporting you on that pathway. Yeah. And it's not an overnight change. It's a, it's a, it's that classic lifestyle change. Yeah, like cha yeah, changing your life. Ooh, what does stem cell treatment look like in Bermuda? Does it? So I guess this person seems to have a feeling like doesn't exist. So, I'm not aware of any um, stem cell treatments. Um, there's always an international debate about um, efficacy or evidence-based medicine. Regenerative medicine plays a huge role in different parts of the world, and I'm not sure that there's anything currently active in Bermuda. I may be wrong. Uh, it doesn't involve my practice. Okay. I mean, those were the questions submitted from social media. Is there anything that you want to say to the public before we sign off? Or any misconceptions that you want to dispel that we didn't really get to in our conversation? I, th I think the take home messages I believe a patient's pain mm -hmm. I have many patients sitting in front of me saying nobody believes my pain uh, so it's really I think that's the the main thing yeah, I, like people are all there am, suffering they don't I am need the, to suffer <laughs> I am the guy who believes you in pain yeah. and I will spend all the time to try and find out is there anything I can help with or appropriately um, manage your pain not even by myself but with other specialties involved like I said again Bermuda is unique that we're a small community and there's lots of people I 
know and trust and work with. So even if you just come see me, you may not end up as me as your primary pain um, provider. But I'll make sure that you're in, t- in a very yeah, good team. Sorted. Yeah, hmm. and and I think the it's it's back to the first answer. Pain is what the patients say. Mm-hmm. It's hard. It's tough. It. I don't have all the answers. Nobody has all the answers. But m- all of us will try and come down to as close to what can we do to help and treat and make that pain more manageable, because that affects your whole life. Yeah. So people. Wanting to seek your services, they can contact Bermuda Pain Clinic. We'll put they all can, the details yes, in the show notes. they can. They can again, like I said, if you speak to your family f- physician, they will happily refer you to come and see me. It will come with even more detail of your medical history, etc., mm-hmm. current medications. But again, that's all stuff that's covered in my questionnaire and in my interview with a patient. So, yeah, they can. There's a lot of specialties that refer to pain sp- to the pain specialist. Um, and I will promise you that there'll be plenty of time spent listening mm-hmm. because that's really, I need to try and you get behind what a patient's trying to tell me. And people talk about pain very differently. Yep. Yeah, thank you, Dr. Swart. That was great. I, I know so much more now. Um, I hope I never have to really come to seek you for support but it's good to know what you're doing for all those around me and then also in my work who might be finding themselves in need. So thanks for your time today. Thank you, Akila. That was great. Thank you very much. We've reached the end of our episode on pain featuring the expertise of Dr. Swart. I'd like to thank Dr. Swart for sharing of his time and knowledge so that we all know more about our options regarding the intervention of pain should we find ourselves needing it. Our sponsor for this episode is the Bermuda Pain Clinic. Thank you for the support. Tune in next month. Our focus will be feet.